Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Tonight, our guest is someone who has helped revolutionize saddle hunting by designing top-of-the-line saddles. Carl Kasuth is lead designer for Tethered Saddles and loves to hunt this way with a traditional bow. How are you doing tonight, Carl? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? And we are awesome. We are excited about talking about saddle hunting. We both do it. Um, that's primarily the way that we hunt when we're in a tree. And we have buddies that don't, and we try to get them on that train and tell them that, hey, it's something to investigate and, and try for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, what's, that, what's that saying that everybody's using nowadays for everything? This is the way? This is the way. That's exactly that's right. right. Yeah, we need that's a right. tethered t-shirt that says that. So yeah, what we want to do tonight is uh, want to just cover saddle hunting with a traditional bow, that being the main topic we're talking about, and then new, any kind of new innovative offerings coming from tether down the pipe that you can talk about, uh, and then just uh, high level, just talk about you and your, your traditional journey. Okay, sounds like a plan. Start us off. You got to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then why do you choose to hunt with traditional equipment? Uh, well, first off, I mean, you introduced me. I'm Carl Suth. I'm chief designer with Tethered. Uh, I've been in that position since our inception, which uh, was five years ago in June. Uh, I was actually, I didn't go full time until, I guess, 2000, August of 2019. I was, I was actually a full time uh, cop and detective and SWAT guy for um, a decade. Uh, is kind of what I was doing uh, prior to Tethered and the first part of Tethered. And I've been kind of a gear maker and a tinker for uh, ever since I was in junior high. I actually learned how to sew in seventh grade home ec, home economics class. Uh, I don't even think they teach that anymore, anywhere, probably. Um, but it was just one of those things that just kind of stuck with me. Uh, I graduated high school, went around in the military, bounced around the world a couple times for about five years. Came back home, did some construction, a little of this, a little of that, got into law enforcement, and and then here I am. As far as uh, uh, my traditional journey for for hunting, um, I kind of I didn't really get started late on it, I guess, but like probably a lot of guys out there hunting who who do hunt with traditional equipment, um, I I got into it. Uh, I got, I was, I shot wheel bows first. I shot compounds. And I think that's where, the, where a lot of people have started out. Um, I got my first bow, you know, probably when I was four or five, it was one of those little red critter getters. Um, I think that they, they probably still make them somewhere like a 10, 15 pound pull, something like that. And, uh, my, my, my whole family, all the guys in my family, um, are into archery in one form or another. Um, my dad, my youngest brother, my middle brother, my dad, my youngest brother are two of the best crack shots I've ever seen. And they're both very modest about it. Don't deny it, but, uh, they're really good shots. And my middle brother, he's very uh, big into the hunting side of things. And I've always been the one of the bunch that's, I always seem to have to find the most difficult, challenging way to do anything. I don't know why that is, but it's just kind of a personality trait. Um, 
you know, I thought that shooting compounds was not challenging enough. So I started shooting traditional bows, you know, catching a fish on a spinning reel wasn't challenging enough. So I had to get a fly rod, you know, that type of thing. It's kind of how I roll, I guess. But I started getting into compound or into um, traditional bows probably, I'm going to say early, probably 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. And uh, my the first bow, uh, first traditional bow I ever owned was a um, a Fred Fredbear Kodiak Magnum, I think is what it was. Just a 45-pound bow that uh, I got from my boss when I was doing construction. And I was pretty immediately hooked because it went right along with kind of how I mentioned with the fly fishing and, and other things, how I, um, how I like to do things. I, it was it was challenging. I knew that instantly. And, um, I, I wanted that, that challenging aspect of it, especially when it came to, uh, hunting whitetail deer there, uh, it just kind of upped the game for me, I guess. And, uh, I just enjoyed the process of shooting the stick and the string, you know, the, the recurve and, and, you know, as it's progressed, I went way down the rabbit hole, way down the rabbit hole. There was, there was a point in time and this may not be a lot to some guys out there, but uh, I was sitting on probably 13, 15 different bows on at the same time. Like the same day, that particular day, I had about 13 or 15 bows that I owned wow. that were recurves and long bows. Every, I mean, high end, low end, middle ground, reflex, deflex, D-shaped long bows. I mean, it, it was just, I've had ILF rigs, all of them. And, uh, just, I, I kind of went nuts on that side of things, uh, down that rabbit hole. I was getting more joy and satisfaction, having more fun, just tinkering, just building different arrow configurations and coming up with different arrow formulas and messing around with FOC, got in real heavy into 3d target archery for a while. So I was running, you know, ILF rigs, a little bit longer bows, just the tinkering aspect of it was awesome and really enjoyable really prior to tethered uh i i was more or less hunting off the ground uh just because i was i was that kind of goes in hand in hand with how i discovered saddle hunting was that you know i'm just tired of packing heavy tree stands around and and all that crap and um you know so i i was hunting off the ground and for the most part and after the end of, I think it was the 2017 season, that's whenever I, I went on Google and I was looking for the, the, the latest and greatest lightweight tree stand that was coming out for that follow, that coming season. And I clicked on images and like six rows down is where I saw this, saw a saddle, a tree saddle. And uh, I decided I was going to build one. And the rest is kind of history. On that, oh, so. That's a great story. That's awesome. That's and that shows just how innovative you are in your mindset of somebody who's an entrepreneur and coming in there to to try to create something that you feel like fits your your needs better, right? And what you need yeah. as a tool in your toolkit. It's a great story. I love it. It's great. So for someone that's tried so many different bows, uh, what did you finally land on? I mean, what are you shooting nowadays? Well, I've made the full circle i think i i started off with um inexpensive bows and i went to the highest of the high end um 
at, you know, at one point. And now that's that's subjective, right? And to to different people, what they consider a high end bow. You can put put just a dollar value on it, or you can put um, an artistic value on it, or you know, composite materials. I mean, you can you can determine that yourself, you know, as far as what's high end. But I'll, I'll just speak like basically off of performance and um, dollar amount. As far as performance goes, in the grand scheme of things, we're really splitting hairs. Now that may ruffle some feathers, but it is what it is. Um, you know, you can, you can make, and th there's, there's, there's boyers out there and companies that are making, uh, limbs now, and mainly you see them in the super recurve realm, um, that are just insane with the performance you can get out of them. Uh, but there's trade-offs there, you know, um, it's, uh, the tuning aspects, uh, uh is it forgiving, um, you know, they, they seem to be very, can be very finicky. You have to have your A game on every single time. Because if you don't, that bow is going to let you know as soon as you shoot it. Um, but yeah, you've got uh, uh, all your high-end ILF rigs. And uh, I mean, there's just, there's so many of them out there. And, and there's there's a lot of, a lot of good, really good boyers out there. Um, but the bow I've, I've I've landed on, you know, I've kind of come back down to the uh, to the lower end of things, and again, that's very subjective. And it took me years to figure this out. And you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I feel like I've gotten wiser and just recognized more things in my life that I have just been overcomplicating for no good reason at all. You know, just it's all of a sudden you have those aha moments, like somebody slapped you in the head with a hammer and you just wake up one day. Huh. And uh, I, I think I think that happened for me earlier this year with traditional archery. I've I've had a fair amount of success with all different kinds of bows and by all different high end boyers. And they're they're, you know, they're great bows. But again, I'll circle back that. You know, you're really when it comes to to, to traditional bows, especially long bows, you're really splitting hairs. You're the the gains that you're going to make for on a on a frat of performance from a thousand dollar bow versus a two hundred dollar bow. It's almost negligible in your speed. You know, if if and, and as traditional archers, most guys shouldn't even care about that. Um, but it seems like that always comes up, even in the traditional arena. Um, I don't know. I just look for I look for durability, smoothness, and just the general utility of the bow. Because what I have figured out, and I'll argue it until the cows come home, it is not the bow; it is the shooter every single time. Yep. That bow yes, going, That bow is not going to make you a better shooter. The mm -hmm. next bow is not going to make you a better shooter. I fought this. I've played that game for years. And I'm telling you guys, save your money. Spend those That's several right. thousand dollars that you're going to spend over the next 20 years thinking that this bow, bow B, is going to make you a better archer than bow A that you currently have that you had a bad round with tonight. And so you think it's the bow and not you. It's not the bow. You know, it's, it's yeah. not. It, and even if you're out of tune, I, I mean, 
you know, there's, there's a lot of excuses and a lot of things that can come into play, um, you know, for, for performing badly, I guess you could say with a bow. But the thing is, if you're consistent, you're consistent. I can take a bow and put an arrow that's two spines off in it and shoot it. And I may miss the target two foot to the left, but every one of those arrows is going to miss the target two foot to the left. So it's consistency. I can I can I can take a, a, a crappy tuned bow and consistently shoot it in the same spot, even though it misses the target. That's what you're after, right? And then you, you then when you can when you tune a bow and get it, you know, right arrow and brace height and weight and everything jiving, then it's you're shooting lights out. So yeah, it's I, I do see people blame. It seems like they, they blame the bow a lot. Um, and, and but but most people, I don't think, yeah. do it publicly. It's this private battle, this personal battle they have with themselves. Sure. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think we've all done that. Mm-hmm. At one yeah. point or another. I know yeah. I have early in my hunting career. I know I I blamed my equipment. And it's funny. I was talking to Matt the other day about this. And it kind of goes to what you're saying. Um, I was trying to force, you know shooting a certain way and it just doesn't work for me you know it's sometimes it's just uh you just gotta do what works for you you know even if it's a little different you know if you're still getting consistency and you're still shooting good and you think you can make ethical shots when the time comes i mean i think that's what's most important and yeah you don't have to have the you don't have to have the real high-end stuff is sometimes it's a lot prettier but i mean you can certainly be efficient with um you know, a $200 eBay bow or a $100 eBay bow. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. Well, to answer, to finally answer your question, the bow I'm shooting now is the Black Hunter Longbow from Amazon. Um, awesome. It's a, have you guys heard of them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, sir. So, and may catch some hate for it. Yeah, it's made in China, guys. Guess what? We live in a worldwide economy. China's not the only player in this game and neither is the U.S. It's just the world we live in accept it embrace it if you want if you don't that's fine too um but the bow is not perfect when you get it they uh uh like the the shelf it's got this kind of this weird radius on it it's like it's not cut all the way and it's because of the it's like you can tell the riser is cnc machined and they do a very very good job on it but the last bit that they use has got this pretty pretty round round over so they don't like cut that shelf and side plate out like it should be so you're gonna have about 20 minutes of file chainsaw file and flat file work uh when you get one to make it right to bring it into a little bit past center shot and get that shelf right um the guy who on um he's got a youtube channel uh, great plains archery i think or great plains bow company um I don't know if he's out of Kansas or Nebraska, but uh, he actually, what I really like about him is he, he's obviously a boyer. He sells his own bows, but he'll get on there and he'll do videos on some uh, volume production bow and say, hey, I got a hold of one of these bows. Let's make it better. And it's very cool of him to do and to do that for people and show them. And uh, he, uh, he actually did like a, a three or four part series on the black hunter longbow and he showed that whole process of of uh, straightening that riser out he did a little bit of limb tip work on one of the limbs um and keep in mind this is a hundred dollar bow a hundred dollar three-piece takedown bow and um i couldn't be happier with it 
I have, I have, I, I have two. I bought two complete bows, and then I bought a whole bunch of of limbs. So at the end of the day, the quick math on it is I have since I have two risers, um, and I have uh, four sets of longbow limbs ranging from 37 pounds up to uh, 57 pounds. And then uh, same thing with the recurve limbs. So I have four sets of longbow limbs, four sets of recurve limbs, and two risers. I have eight bows for $500. That's great. That's hard to beat. That's, awesome. That's hard yeah, to I beat. Think, I think it's important to, to understand what the Black Hunter has done uh, for the traditional world. Um, it is a bow yeah. that has gotten so many people into shooting traditional because it's easy to find on on Amazon or wherever you go to, to get it. And it's, it's cheap and you can go in the backyard and have so much fun. And that's what it's all about. Um, and until it you're ready it. to make that next step and get another bow or whatever, whatever you do, you stick with it. It doesn't matter. But I think, I think that the black hunter, um, needs to have its dues because it has brought a lot of people to true to, to traditional archery when, um, when, you know, people aren't hunting that way anymore. And people keep calling it a beginner's bow, which it is based on the price. I mean, a hundred dollar bill. I mean, all of us have wasted a hundred dollars on a lot dumber things, you know. So it's 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 almost there, there's almost no loss there. It's going to cost you a hundred dollars to find out if you like traditional archery. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it's it's totally worth it. And it's it is great as a beginner's bow but then it's it's also really really good at being a bow you want to hang on to and actually utilize to hunt it's it is the only bow i own now um why i I take it back i have one a and h bow that i'm gonna sell at some point it's the last quote-unquote high-end bow that i have um but everything else is just the black that black hunter and um it shoots really, really well. And here in a minute, well, I'll, I'll tell you about my first experience shooting shooting it. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's hear about that. I want to hear about the, the first experience. Let's do that now. So yeah, I had been hearing things about the Black Hunter. I had seen a couple reviews on it, and it was kind of starting to make a, a few waves on Facebook, being brought up a lot on some of the different traditional bow hunting forums and things like that. And I'm like, it's a hundred dollars. It, it just it can't be that good. I'm not saying it. I, I knew it would shoot an arrow down range, but I'm like, it can't be that good. And I said, heck with it. I got one. Um, and what, what really put me over the top with, uh, you guys familiar with Kramer Amons on YouTube? Yes. Um, yes sir. Yeah. Well, yep. he did, he did a very detailed review on it. And after his review, I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. So I got it, had it in like two days and I've set up, you know, I'm not gonna say hundreds, but probably near a hundred of my own personal bows in the last 20 years. So I, I, I already had kind of gone down the YouTube rabbit hole. I knew what I had to do to the shelf. As soon as I got it, I didn't even string it up and shoot it. I pulled that riser out, took it over the vise, and went to town with that chainsaw file and that flat file. Got that all worked out. Threw some sealer on it. Threw my adhesive. Um, hook and loop Velcro on it. That's all I use for my side plate and my shelf material. That's all I've used for decades. And um, I got that on there, threw a string on it, 
step back at 12 yards and let the first arrow go. And this is so the one I ordered. I think it was a, it was a, I ordered a 45 pounder and I think it was, I think the limbs on that one were 46 pounds. I, it's actually the, the limbs I'm, I'm hunting with this season is the 46 pound limbs. And so I was, I was pretty much able to just grab the correct arrow for it right out of my spine testing um, bag. You know, I keep one bag with nothing but bare shafts with different weights in them and everything. And I grabbed it, it shot straight. And, I, and so I, I knew that that was already the right arrow for that. So then I grabbed a few of them that, uh, that had uh, feathers on them. And then I stepped back at 15 and I let those first three arrows go. And I was, I was upset. I was mad actually that this, because the reason I was mad is I just thought I just launched these arrows out of this hundred dollar bow off Amazon. And I am literally looking down to my right and there's $3,000 bows laying there. So three bows all valued at a thousand dollars or more laying there strung up, rigged out, and I'm looking at them. And I, I put the bow down and I went and got the arrows and I came back and I did it again. And that bow shot as good as any of those three thousand dollar bows laying there next to me. Wow. And I was like, what have I been doing? What am I doing? What have I been doing? You know, I, was, I felt like such an idiot. And because I've been chasing that. I've been, ch you know, it's if you want to shoot a beautiful, expensive bow, good on you. Go for it. No, I, I'm not I don't have anything against them. I don't want people to think that I do. Because there are some incredible boyers out there and, you know, like tethered, we kind of have a, a cult following, you know, a lot of these boyers are the same. They've got followings. They've got very, very committed groups of people who will only shoot their bows. And that's great. And I can appreciate that. Um, you know, but for me, I've been chasing this, this idea that I was going to find that magical bow someday that just made me, you know, the next Byron Ferguson. And that's just that's just not the way it is. And, and I that was probably the biggest aha moment I had um, that's landed me on this bow at this time is that, you know, I, I well, I set the bow up in earnest. Then I started checking tiller on it, you know, and um, all those I found out all those black hunters, they all come with a positive tiller and I shoot three under. So I want a little bit of a negative tiller. So actually, every set of limbs that I got. I had to like take the paint off um, and swap the limbs out top to bottom. I just had to swap them around. So I had negative tiller. Um, but uh, that was, that was just kind of funny. And, and, and the weights on their limbs, it's like, it's like uh, playing craps. Like you don't know like how far how, they may be spot on. They may be <laughs> six pounds off. <laughs> you never know. Never know. It, you know and, and it's, yeah, I guess that's kind of poking fun at the overseas element of it, the made in China type of thing. But I just kind of had fun with it because like whenever I whenever another set of limbs would come in because I was paying like fifty dollars, forty five, fifty dollars for another set of limbs. And when they come in, I'd be like, OK, what are these going to be? You know, it's like <laughs> they say this every time. What are <laughs> so, yeah, now all my limbs are now um, there. You know, I got a paint marker and, and, and remarked them all. So they all have very accurate weights at twenty eight inches. Um, so, you know, it's like, it, and none of them, none of them are even numbers. None of them. They're all unique. 
37 pounds, 43 <laughs> pounds, 46 pounds, 57 pounds. You know, it's just, it's just kind of funny. Well, for the price, you can't beat it. And like you said, I mean, at the end of the day, I, there's been a number of people that I've talked to, and I was one of those that you, you get sick of like chasing uh, the next best thing when it comes to, to hunt with a compound. And that was part of the reason to get into traditional. You got to keep reminding yourself that is like, I don't want to keep blaming the equipment. And then I don't want to have to continue to chase like the next thing, next technology yes. that year after year, because there's always going to be something new and better come out just like at the car dealership. And so this is a perfect testimony that anybody that's listening to this, that's either wanting to get into saddle hunting or they want to get into a uh, hunt with a traditional bow. Like you don't have to buy the most expensive, the best, all, you know, 15, 20 bows and it's not the equipment, right? It's you just need to get right. out there and put in some sweat equity and shoot a lot and practice and be prepared to know your equipment and then have confidence. And when you have the confidence, uh, that, that says the world. And if it takes you having a nice looking bow, because uh, I've heard a saying that if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, I guess you could say you shoot good. And so maybe that applies. I don't know for some people. Other than that, though, you don't have to have that. It's not going to outperform your ability to shoot. Right. You're exactly right in that. And that is a hundred percent true. If you are confident, if you feel that you look good and you have the best gear and you're and it really bolsters your confidence, you're going to perform better. It's a proven fact. You know, because your 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 mind is your own is your your worst enemy. That's the thing you always have to overcome. And if you've yeah. got your mind convinced that you are alpha dog in the woods that day or out on your range, guess what? You're not going to be beat. That's it. You know, it's it's a mind it's a mindset it's a mind game. Um, it is a mind game. That's exactly right. Somebody that is on the fence about saddle hunting, let's talk about some great tips that you found helpful specifically hunting out of a saddle with traditional equipment okay probably the number one thing i have found is stop getting so high in the tree um you do not have to be 20 feet up and i i really i don't care where you live um it's you can get too high in my opinion um the main reason is shot angles right so um those vitals the angle on the vitals, and I'll just speak generally about whitetails because that's what you know most people in North America seem to hunt uh, with traditional bows is, is is the whitetail deer. But you know you get um, I, I try to stay in that in that twelve, actually ten, probably ten to fifteen. You will probably not catch my platform any higher than fifteen feet at any given time, even in late season when there's no leaves on the ground. Um, it's not about being high. It's about not moving when you're not supposed to move and making the moves when you can. And it's about back cover, not even anything on the tree that you're in. It's what's behind you. It's that back cover that's breaking you up. And what guys don't realize is they, they think they need to get higher in the tree, especially late season when the leaves start falling. Um, when in some regards, you need to get lower because I don't want to skyline myself and in in late season that's all you're doing when you get up that high you are up in the skyline uh, yep. that wintertime sky that gray blue sky and you're just going to stand out and when you're lower let's say even if you don't have the best cover um around you at least you're down in light colored stuff you know that, that that's that's similar to what you're wearing you know and um I, I truly believe that that's that's the 
lower, I'll take lower over higher anytime, but especially with trad gear because of the shot angles. Um, you know, we are, we are dealing with longer bows. So, um, what's your average compound ATA is probably what 33, 34 axle axle. That's probably what most of these guys have settled on these days. I think somewhere in there. Um, and we're shooting bows in that, um, you know, 56, 58, 60, 62, 64. I've seen a few guys as long as 66. Um, I, I thought also that I really needed to have the shortest bow possible long bow to shoot. So I, I had a, well, last year I killed uh, two bucks with a 54 inch bow. Um, and that worked out fine. And they're not, obviously they're not as forgiving as a longer bow. Um, but they they did the job well it's I, I i've played around a lot and found that i don't i don't have any trouble moving a moving a 60 or 62 inch bow around over my bridge around the tree or whatever i don't have any more trouble with that bow than i do a, a 56 or a 58 inch bow so really the bow length is negligible up to a point um so it's you can you can get away, you can get away with with a lot longer bows. The, the trick is 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 I think you mentioned it earlier. You know, put your time into it and just you know put the practice in, and it's going to be just like breathing. Um, but staying staying low, um, a short bridge. Run your bridge on your saddle as short as you can. Um, I'm I'm pretty narrow at the hips. And so I can get down to a very, very small bridge. The last uh, two seasons, uh, my bridge, it's generally, if you, if you measure it loop to loop, stretched out, I, it's, it's probably around 12 or 14 inches. It's pretty dang short. Um, but I'm comfortable like that. Some people may not be. Um, the, and the reason I say you want to run that shorter bridge is because, you know, that, that the bridge creates the triangle that comes up from the, the bridge loops and goes up to the tether. So you've got that triangle right there. And the shorter you make the bridge, the smaller you can make that triangle. And by making that triangle really small, you're creating more workspace for you to move around in with your bow, especially at full draw. Um, you know, because our, you know, our, our long bows and recurves being the length that they are, the string anger angles are a lot wider and not as acute as if, as a short compound bow. Um, so it's just, that's really the only consideration that I have found that you have to take in, into account when you're shooting a traditional bow out of a saddle um, over a compound. It really, really isn't that hard. Um, I think that some people are a little intimidated by it because they look at a long bow or recurve and they look at how, how big they are. Um, it's just, it's just not that bad. It really isn't. Um, the only thing you have to overcome is that length, and that is just simply practice. That's practice, practicing your strong side, your off sides. Um, really, you only have to you're, you're paying attention to where that bridge is at, and where the bottom half of your string is at at full draw. Um, you just want to make sure that you don't have your knee in the way. It's you know, and, and you want to practice having that uh, that knee that's on the side that you're shooting from. So as a right hander, if I'm shooting you know, down toward the, uh, toward the left, you know, I've got my left knee to contend with. And you want to practice shooting with that knee splayed out for some sort of weird shot, you know, up close. And you want to have it, you know, 
turn the other way. You want to practice all the scenarios you can come up with. You practice them at home, a foot off the ground, off your platform or whatever you're using. Um, most people who shoot a bow now have a block target, some sort of movable target and um, put that thing two feet away or I'm sorry, like, like two yards away from you and be a foot, foot and a half off the ground and just dump some arrow, dump a few arrows into it. Unhook your tether, step down, go over there, pull your arrows, grab that block and move it to the six o'clock position. Go back to the platform, hook in, do it all over again. You're going to master all of these shot angles and scenarios at home, a foot off the ground before you ever even go up to hunting height, which again, isn't that high. I'm talking 12 to 15 feet. And that, you know, that's where I like to be. Um, but yeah, keep it low, that's keep great. the bridge, the bridge short, um, you know, and just watch your string angles. And it's, it's really no different than learning how to shoot out of a saddle with a compound bow. It's really not. Um, and actually people who, that I've talked to who are, traditional bow hunters first before they became saddle hunters they don't know any different so them learning to shoot their longbow or recurve out of a saddle was the same as their buddy who learned to shoot his compound out of a saddle yep um, they didn't have a compound to compare it to so all they all they shot was their longbow and it was it was normal to them the learning experience was normal and figuring out what they had to do it was just normal um, and I, and I would actually argue that in some case, in some regards, shooting a traditional bow out of a saddle, especially out of a saddle is easier than a compound bow. And, um, the only thing you're giving up is range. That's it. Effective shot distance. That's the only thing you're giving up. And the reason I say that is, well, it's the, it's the beauty of the longbow and the recurve. It's one of the things that, oh, that draw a lot of us to them is the, the simplicity of them. You know, it's essentially in its basic rawest form is two pieces. It's a, a bendy stick and a string, right? Yep. So, you know, when you're drawing down on an animal or a what, you know, a deer out of a saddle with a longbow, by the time you get back to your anchor or that feather touches your nose, you're pretty much done at that point. Then it's just a matter of waiting. You know, most people, their subconscious has already got everything taken care of and you're just ready, ready to lose that arrow. You, there's no peep sight to worry about uh, not turning all the way. Or even if it does turn perfect, you have to line that peep sight up with your sight housing. Uh, then you have to look at your bubble inside your sight housing. You got to make sure that's level. Make sure your stabilizers aren't hitting anything. You still have to look down and see if you're going to have any clearance issues on stuff. Um, then, you know, then you've got your mechanical release side of things to deal with. To me, there's a lot more moving parts and stuff that you have to deal with shooting a compound bow in general. But I think that I think that stuff really comes into play out of a saddle because you're in a saddle. You're not standing flat-footed on the ground, right? So you know, if, especially if you're, if you're trying to make a, you know, a 40 yard shot on a white tail or something like that, you know, you gotta have your A game on, uh, even, even with you know, that, that very high end, very, very accurate compound bow, you still gotta do all your, you know, you gotta make all your moves right for things to, to work out like they're supposed to. Um, but the, what I'm trying to say in a very long winded way is that the shot cycle, um, on a trad bow, 
is so much more efficient, so much shorter, and so much so much more subconscious in many ways than it is on a compound bow. There's just a lot less yeah. to think about when it's time For to sure. do business. Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at bigjimbowcompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at gunshyarchery.com. VPA Broadheads, precision machined one-piece broadheads, two- and three-blade mode is available. Check them out at vparchery.com. Custom King Archery, the best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. Triple T Strings, created champion-level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. I can yeah. speak to I can speak to another advantage of um, shooting traditional equipment out of a saddle. I mean, I've I've preached this before, um, not talking about saddles, but saddles is the reason that I preach this. It's a lot of hunters have to pick a block of woods that they want to hunt. They have an option of quite a few trees. When you're hunting with traditional equipment, you know. You have to pick the right tree. I mean, you, usually it comes down to one, two, three, if you're really lucky, trees that you can hunt. And I tell you, I can get my Skeletors on basically any tree. And with a saddle, it opens up that. I mean, I can I can hunt where I need to hunt. I can get into the positions that I need to get, you know, you know, in, inside 20 or 15 yards to 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 make that stuff possible so i can speak to that advantage and i know it's it's that's the most important thing to me is the shot opportunities that hunting out of a saddle will give you and that is um so it's something something i've been talking about recently and and it's it's uh it kind of came into my life um as a traditional archer after i made that really horrible shot on that north dakota buck couple years ago you know so that was a 30 yard have, have you guys seen that video we have it's a great it's a it's a good video it's a good lesson learner and i think it's yeah, just real because sure. at the end of the day like if you hunt with a traditional bow or any type of bow hunting or any hunting in general you if you haven't failed or have things go bad like that um or things that you didn't uh, plan out uh, in your head is yeah. how it should have gone you haven't done it you done it long enough let's be honest right, it's gonna happen right, eventually right. i don't care what you're using yeah yeah, well, that that video, you know, and, and I encourage people to watch that. I mean, you know, my my video from last year that that Robert Mendoza filmed, you know, where I, I shot that really nice buck right through the heart, right, and that was awesome. Although I did, I missed the doe ten minutes prior, but I mean, she ducked me really bad, which that'll happen with oh, anything. Yeah. But you know, you take that buck from last year, and then you take the buck from two years prior to that. Those two hunts are complete polar opposites as far as how I performed, right? And the choices that I made. And, you know, if you go back to the North Dakota hunt, um, it was a 30 yard shot and I shot that buck right through the hips. And so we're talking, I missed where I was aiming by a solid 20 inches, you know? And, you know, luckily from the point of the shot, we did everything right from that point 
backed out, didn't push anything, came back and was able to recover the deer the next morning. Um, but what led up to that is that I had been dropping 30 yard bombs at my house all summer long. I mean, just killing it, you know, and uh, actually my point on was um, I'm kind of an instinctive gappy, whatever, whatever type of shooter. I do a little bit of everything, right? Whatever fits the bill at the moment. Um, but my point on for that particular boat was 30 yards. And uh, I always I always like to find out what my point on is for every boat that I shoot. Like like right now with the Black Hunter, my point on, I'm shooting a 46-pound limbs, 582-grain arrow, and my point on is 20, uh, 25 yards on that. So on this particular bow, it was 30 yards. And I found that I can actually group a lot tighter shooting from my point on distance than say way up close where you've got that, that a lot bigger um, perceived gap between your, what your subconscious or what your, your peripheral, I don't know how you say that word, uh, your peripheral vision is seen, you know, cause you, that, 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 your side vision is always picking up where that arrow's at, right? Yeah, you're focused on your spot, but somewhere in your mental subconscious, you can see that arrow floating around in there. But that's right. Uh, but I always, I tend to shoot a lot better farther back at my point on than I do, you know, say at 12 or 15 yards, because you know, I'm at that point, I'm literally like, oh, I'm at my point on, you know, and I always have fun, and then I'm just like really, I'm floating, floating the tip of that arrow right where it needs to go, and then just let it eat. And it's pretty cool to just lob six really, really strong arrows into your target from 30 yards with a, with a trad bow. But that's what I've been doing. And when you get out in the wild, things change. Um, you know, the deer move around. They can and they can move around a lot in 30 yards when you let an arrow go that's only moving 160 feet per second, you know. Um, but regardless, this deer didn't move at all i to this day i don't know how i botched that shot that bad um but you know that there's a saying you can't be beat in your own backyard well i went into the hunting season with that mentality you know that i was a very strong shot at 30 yards and that quickly quickly humbled me and um so since then i basically what i have done um and it's kind of funny the name of your, of your podcast is inside 20 because uh, 20 yards is essentially my world now. Um, I have a, you know, it's I have a, I have a 20 yard diameter with my my tree being in the center of it. Um, or I'm sorry, it's a it's 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 20 yard radius around the tree, basically. So I I will not shoot. I refuse to shoot at a white tailed deer that's past 20 yards. And the way I look at it now, it's a mindset. Um, before I leave the truck, before I leave the house and go into the woods, I already know. I know this. And if I see a 180 at 25, I'm going to be, I'll be, well, thanks. Thanks, God, for letting me see that. That was really, really awesome. And I just, I won't do it. Um, and that has given me a confidence now that I never, ever had before, ever with shooting traditional gear. Because since I know that my world is 20 yards and in with on a whitetail, and I keep saying whitetail because if it's bigger animals, I might stretch it out a little bit depending on what I was hunting, what the circumstances, and so on. 
But as far as whitetails go, that's it. Um, I won't shoot at them past 20. And I, re I really prefer for them to be in that like 15 to 17 yard range. That's kind of my bread and butter. That's where I really, really spend a lot of time practicing. And I can, I'm just super, super confident that at 15 to 17, like in any scenario, any angle, strong side, weak side, fast shot, slow shot, hold the bow for a minute, doesn't matter. Um, I'm just very comfortable with that. And I've developed that comfort, that confidence because of what I've done, uh, because I've put this boundary on myself, because I know that nothing else outside of that 20 yards exists. So I don't worry about it. It just, I just don't worry about it at all. Um, and it really has helped me. And it, it just took my confidence with a, a traditional bow to the next level, knowing that I don't even have to fool with that because I'm not going to shoot that far anyway. And it's, it continues to make you a better hunter and a better woodsman. Cause like Tim was just saying, so when you go out to hunt and you're looking for a tree to climb, you know, uh, at, with a compound bow, you're like, Oh, this tree will work. I can hit a 40 yard shot that way, 35 yard shot that way, whatever, you know? So you're just looking for a good spot as a traditional hunter. You're looking for the spot within the spot. And sometimes you're looking for the spot within the spot within the spot. You're really trying to pare that down, you know, to where that shot opportunity is going to be golden, just as premium as you can possibly make it. And uh, to me, that's as fun as letting an arrow go is yep. is is that 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 part of the, the challenge and that part of the chess match, I guess you would say. Yeah, it's it's a blast, and the whole process, and just the the game you play, and even getting just getting within that close. And if you even if you're not going to shoot what's in, within your effective range, you, you know that you kind of won that battle. And you've given a lot of great tips. I think somebody who has not uh, pursued traditional or is on the fence, I think all those are uh, perfect tips for anybody. Either you're at the beginning stages of your journey, or you, you've been doing it for a long time. And maybe you just need a, a reset, right? A mentally re, a mental reset. Um, I also just want to just talk about overall. You got somebody who has uh, who's who knows this now, who's heard this, and they're they're wanting to get into saddle hunting, but they don't know where to start. Like there's a lot of components, or there can be uh, with a saddle setup, depending on how you set it up. Mm -hmm. What is your advice uh, from the ground zero? to hunting and ready to go to the woods or ready to practice what does somebody need bare minimum to saddle hunt okay well i'll give you the the bare bare minimum and then i'll give you kind of what i would consider the bare minimum the bare the bare minimum to actually make it happen uh and it doesn't and i don't care what brand you settle on i don't care what brand saddle platform sticks whatever but you need your climbing method, which in most cases are sticks of some kind, uh, you know, portable sticks um, to get yourself up in the tree. You need three or four of those. You're going to need um, somewhere to put your feet. You're going to need a platform. Um, mo most people use a platform anymore. Um, and then you're going to need a saddle um, to put your body in. And then uh Two, two primary ropes, your lineman's rope, you know, that goes around the tree that hooks to you, that helps keep you safe when you're climbing. And then your tether that you transition to when you get up into hunting position. Um, so 
two ropes, a saddle, a platform, and a set of climbing sticks. That is the absolute bare bones to make 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 it work. That to get up in the air and shoot and hunt from from an elevated position with a saddle. Um, now I would add you're gonna you're gonna need you got gear, right? You got packs and you got binos and you got to hang your bow somewhere and you know stuff like that. And you got to get your bow up and whatnot. That's where you're gonna need a bow pull up rope. Um, and I will be kind of biased on this one. Our hiss strap, that little accessory webbing that we sell that goes around the tree that you hang your gear on, that thing is just so, so good for everything. Gun hunting, bow hunting, you name it. Uh, it's just such a good tool to hang your pack and your bow and all that stuff on. So I got a kind of a two-part question and you can answer it however you want, but me and Matt were having a discussion um, when uh, the lockdown saddle came out and we were talking about uh, replacing our, our lineman rope and our tether. And uh-huh. we just, we didn't know how long that stuff lasts. And, um, you know, can you, can you share a little bit about, you know, the longevity of saddles and your ropes and um, when that stuff needs to be replaced, if ever? It's, if if you go onto our website, we have uh, warnings and instructions for um, all of our um, life supporting stuff that we sell, all of our climbing sticks, our saddles, and everything. And I can't remember the exact verbiage that's in there. Um, I, I honestly don't know if we actually give a time frame of like, hey, you need to go replace this now. It's it, it's a very subjective thing, but it's it's up to we're all big boys and girls here. And, you know, we need to inspect our gear. Right. Um, if, if we tell people, regardless, if you sustain a fall, if you've if you slipped on your climbing stick and you just slid down a couple feet or whatever, you need you probably need to replace that rope and maybe even your saddle at a minimum. Send it in to us and let us look at it, you know. Um, but that's one of the cool things about this gear is that if you're using it properly, you can't fall four, five, six feet. You know, well, you just don't because you're because you're generally under tension with everything. But yeah, absolutely. You know, like you're you're going to get a little fraying um, or I wouldn't call fraying like just some fuzziness from tree bark, like on the ropes, on the right. sheath. on the. That's 100 percent normal. Um, the this the. the this the core of the ropes is where all this that's where all the goodie is that's where all the start the strong stuff is at you know um like the the ropes that we sell um i think our 11 millimeter rope ropes are uh they're somewhere around eight thousand pounds even though they're a smaller rope it's right. just because of the core that's in them but uh yeah you just take a look at things and um so there's there's no there's no set time and that's kind of the conclusion um Matt and I drew from that. Yeah. Um, I can tell you though, anybody that hasn't tried a saddle, I've I've tried darn near every climbing method there is, and I, I'll I'll say this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but I feel most safe in a saddle. And you know, when you look at someone climbing with a saddle, you wouldn't think that, but you get in there, and it's mm-hmm. it is. I mean, you're you're locked in from the time you yeah. leave the ground to the time you get back on the ground. I mean, if you're doing the things, if you're doing it correctly you should not be untethered from the tree and you know you won't have you won't have any accidents if you do it correctly um at least falls to the ground yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. You might do something silly up there and, 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 um, take a sidestep off your platform or something. And you're just going to smack against the tree. You know, the only thing going to be hurt really is your pride. But the, 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 and I explained this, I've explained this to hundreds of people at shows and events and, and different saddle hunting gatherings, you know, as far as touching on what you just said there, you know, if you take a, a tree stand harness, a safety harness for a tree stand and it's going, if you fall, it's going to catch you and it's going to save you. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt pretty good because there's usually slack in those systems. Most people that, that use the safety harness in a tree stand, you, you know, you, you can, you see it in videos and photos. They got the big, the big slack loop in there. So if they fall, they're going to be moving two or three feet before they hit the end of that thing. And, and it saves them and it's going to hurt, but with, but it will work. But with a saddle, you're under constant tension all the time. Um, you know, being tethered to that tree, that tether is, is holding your weight all the time, whether you're leaning, whether you're sitting, you're under that tension. So the entire, the whole world could collapse in a second under your feet. And guess what? You're not going anywhere. You're staying right there because you're under that tension. And um, it's very cool to see people at different events and shows when you, you set them back. We, the very first time they ever lean back in a saddle. And I, I, I still, I never get tired of seeing their faces um, because that the aha moments just happen instantly. And they feel safe. They feel secure. And like, and one of the most common things I hear is, oh my gosh, this thing is so much more comfortable than I thought it was going to be. And you're talking to them and they're sitting there and within a, a few 30 seconds or a minute, they're starting to move around, starting to move around the tree. They're already that comfortable, you know. Um, their saddles just, they're just a really secure feeling. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 it's hard to explain. I can sleep like a baby in a saddle, <laughs> and I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I have too. I have too. Yeah, they're super some comfortable. Knee, some knee pads on, and you can just uh, prop up in there, and you're good. Yep. 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 Yeah, you can sit in different ways, and you can, it seems like you last a lot longer in a saddle, too, especially on a longer hunt, especially if you're able to reposition. Uh, it makes a big difference. Talk about uh, some ex- an exciting hunt. You've talked about a few already that you've had. Whether you failed, you didn't have a shot opportunity, or it was a successful uh, harvest like you planned uh, out of a saddle. Talk about one over the years that, that has is wor- it, one that you really top of mind other than those other two hunts you've talked about? Uh, well, last year's is hard to beat. Yeah, last year's probably one of my most exciting hunts um, on that buck that we actually got on video. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Robert was there with me in the tree. And it was just everything about that morning was perfect. You know, uh, we had this that crazy unnatural front that came through and the buck started acting ruddy and crazy. And I ended up shooting my biggest buck ever right through the heart. You know, I mean, that was, um, the, you know, that, that one's hard to beat. Uh, another one, though, that I probably would be my, I don't know if you call it my number two favorite or whatever, but one that I, I vividly recall um, and was just absolutely jacked about. There was this freaking alpha doe that I was trying to kill. 
she was the, she was the lead doe of a of a group of I think it was six of them, and this was this is a late season scenario, so bedding to food, bedding to food, bedding to food. It was, it was pretty um, pretty basic, but because they were doing that exact same thing every day, um, they were very predictable. But the way that I had to hunt them was very predictable as well, and um, I I. I, she, she's those big horse-headed does. They've got that extra thing, that extra sense. They just know stuff, and it infuriates me to no end because this doe busted me two times, two previous evenings before I actually killed her. And what was it was just so funny because, like, you know, they start acting hinky, they start acting weird. You start seeing those hip shift and. and that's they start low slowly lifting and putting that front foot down and they, that head starts moving and they're doing the old rubbernecking and stuff and they're looking and they're not they're not seeing you but they know something's there and i'm dropping milkweed this is literally going on everything i just described this doe is doing is literally happening in like 15 yards away from me i don't have a shot yet and i am literally dropping milkweed and going are you kidding me right now my thermals are dropping down and away from her and the milkweed is going completely the wrong direction away from her. Just, it was like, I'm like, what is going on here? And it was, uh, well, I figured out later on, I, I remember I mentioned being too high. I think I was too high and I think I was getting a little bit, of, I was skylining myself a little bit on basically the tree line that was 200 yards behind me. And so I was kind of, inadvertently blobbing myself up there in the skyline and not realizing it and she couldn't smell me but she knew that that big old knot didn't belong in that tree you know and it was like you see near how they kind of look through you almost they know something's wrong and especially those does they start rubbernecking and really rotating that head and they're looking at you but they're not yeah we know all about that way too okay, much well, all she about didn't. that way too much. Oh, yeah. That head bomb, that classic head bomb. Uh, yes, and the stomping. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't, I'm starting to get uh, starting to get some some bad backflash memories. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's making, me, it's making me mad just talking about it. Are, 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 we, are you guys going to need a little therapy after I get done with this? Yes. We've, we've, all, we've all been there. So uh, this happened twice with this old gal, right? And I, I mean, I was gunning for her because you know, it's killing a – a, a big old mature doe like that is 10 times harder than killing a buck. It just is, you know, 100%. especially a buck, in the rut, especially a buck in the rut. Oh, yeah. um, you know, those, those does, they're just, they're just so good at what they do and keeping everybody alive. And they're always there in the front. And, and um, sometimes it may be in the very back, but generally they're in the front. So I basically jumped completely out of the box on this one on how I ended up getting her and the saddle is uh, pretty much what allowed it to happen and how I used it. So the trees that I, that I was hunting this particular trail on where they were coming to the food source, they had to come down off the ridge, come by me in my shot lane, and then they would drop down into a creek, cross the creek, which is pretty, pretty wide. It's probably a, a, you know, 40, 50, no, no, it's probably 30 or 40 yard wide Creek. And it always has water of some kind in it. Um, in that particular crossing, they cross the Creek, 
hop up on the other side, go through a little area of buffer trees, and they're in the food source. And But by the time they get out there, it's dark, right? You're not getting a shot. This is just general late season. We've been shot at, and this is public land, too. You know, um, they've been hunted hard, right? We're going to stop it right there to be continued. If you want to hear the rest of the story, you're going to have to tune in to the next episode where we finish this with Carl, get deeper into just saddle hunting and talking more about tethered. It's a great episode. You're going to get another hour of Carl's time and he just lays it on us. We also are going to do a big giveaway with tethered. So you need to stay tuned to hear out the details of how you can enter to win. But we want to do our own giveaway. We talk so much about this black hunter bow, a great bow. We want to offer it to somebody, one of our listeners. So what we're going to do is we're going to make a post on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're not already following us on one of those platforms, you need to do that. Then you're going to tag two of your hunting buddies on that post. You're going to like our page and we're going to send that to somebody who just wants to try out that black hunter like Carl was talking about. It might take a little bit of effort on your end to get that shelf right, but I promise you it'll be worth your time. We've shot one ourselves, and it is a sweet shooting bow, just like he's saying. Plus, you tell us your left-handed, right-handed shooter, what pound you want, and we're going to ship it directly to your house. It'll be ready to go. You just got to put some arrows with it and get it set up, and you'll be ready to go out in the woods and hopefully uh, use it this fall. All right, stay tuned for the next episode where we finish this time with Carl. 